You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So our text this morning goes a little more into detail the specifics of what the church at Colossae is facing. Paul has a reason for writing this letter to them. Uh, This church has been planted, we've seen earlier, by Epaphras, has heard the word likely in Ephesus, gone back to this trilogy of towns of Colossae and Hierapolis and uh, Thessalonica. No, not Thessalonica. That's the wrong one. Uh, I can't. What is the third town? Does anyone remember? He says Laodicea. There it is. Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. These three towns. He's gone back and he's planted these churches. This one in Colossae. And there's been some sort of difficulty that's come up. So it's a reason for writing the letter. He's wanting to to encourage them and to teach them and to and to encourage them in their pursuit of Christ. And so this morning, we hear a little more about what this contrary teaching was that was coming in. There clearly are these false teachers that have come in, and they are pushing and teaching doctrines other than the truths that Paul proclaimed. Quite possibly, here's a scary part of this passage, these might have been people who actually were a part of the church, It isn't necessarily that these are some sort of uh, itinerant ministers coming around trying to to bring the church to a different faith. Oftentimes, these are teachers who are in the church, part of the church, and they're just trying to put a little bit of a spin on it, add a little little garnish on the top of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're They're just manipulating the gospel message just a little bit. And from this passage, it seems as though What's going on is there's some sort of Jewish observances that were being commanded mixed in with some sort of mystical authoritative experiences, the seeing of angels and having these supernatural visions and then holding them up as authoritative. 
That's what's going on in these teachers. When it comes to the, the Jewish observances that are mentioned here, he says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, regard to a festival or a new moon, new moon or a Sabbath. That's like a shorthand way they would refer to all of the Jewish rites and observances and feast days and all of the ceremonial restrictions and obligations that were going on. There were strict dietary laws in Judaism. There's clean animals and there's unclean animals. But still today, if you go to a restaurant or to this grocery store and you're looking for something kosher, that's something that, that, that uh, conforms to all the, the Jewish rules regarding dietary laws. That's what kosher is. And so it still exists today. And so these teachers were saying, it's great that you have Jesus. Don't forget, though, that you also have to keep these dietary laws. Or you have to also celebrate on the right days. Or, or maybe you have to make sure that your Sabbath observance is is kosher, is, is 100% right. You have to be very careful. You have to make sure you stay away from certain kinds of people and unclean things because that's they're bringing a Jewish observance back into Christianity. There are strict dietary laws and feast days that were observed by every faithful Jew. And the point that Paul makes is that all of this Jewish observances, all this Jewish ritual, all that was going on in this Old Testament was just the substance, or the shadow, excuse me, it was the shadow of the substance, which is Christ. He says these are all shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ himself says that the point of those observances is, is not what goes into you. The, the reality of, in, in verse 15, he says, in Matthew chapter 15, he says that it's not what goes into a person, not what they do, not these external conformities that make the difference, but it's what comes out of them that counts. He's saying that this Jewish religion was all working toward and pointing at the reality of the Messiah, who was Jesus. He is the substance he is the true truth about which all of these things were in the likeness of. They were the shadow of the substance. And once you have the substance, what more need do you have of the shadow? Uh, the clearest example of this would be like the Passover feast. You know, they had, they celebrated in, in perpetuity, they say, after the Passover, out of Exodus, right? They have this, this land that they sacrifice and then they eat with their, while they're dressed because the the, the death angel is going to pass over them and they're going to be spared. And Christ, that's the shadow, the substance of which is Jesus. As John the Baptist says in, in the Gospel of John, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The shadow is the Passover feast. The substance is Jesus and what he has done. And Paul is saying, if you have the substance, if you have the real thing, why go back to the shadow? I mean, you can imagine how ridiculous it would be if you had, remember those things you used to do in elementary school? I, I loved doing them. That you would, they a real bright light up and then they'd trace and they'd, you'd stand in front of the light and then they'd trace your outline on the piece of paper and you'd cut it out in black construction paper. Did anybody else do this? Okay. Huh? You remember? Thank you. What's that called? It's just a silhouette? Okay. So Lori and I have done that. You have all missed out. Next week, we're going to set up a silhouette booth, and you can all cut out your silhouette. And, you know, and, and it's a likeness of you, right? Well, can you imagine a, 
a, a husband who has taken a silhouette of his wife and he's got this shadow and she goes off for a trip and every day all he has is this, is this, this is FaceTime doesn't exist yet and all that, but he has this shadow. He has this shadow and he, and he, he just looks at it every night because it's a, it's a representation. I mean, even you could say a picture. So let's say it's not just a shadow, it's a picture of his bride. How weird would it be if when his wife then shows back up, he's so glad and then he grabs out the picture and looks at the picture? Ridiculous, right? The substance is here. Don't go back to the shadow when the substance is here. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying Christ is the substance. The Old Testament, the Jewish rituals, laws, all these things, they're pointing forward to the Messiah. And he says, why, when you have the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of these things, why would you ever go back? Why would you go back to these rules and these rituals? Why would you pull out the picture of your wife when you're sitting at supper with her? Don't bother. She's right there. Look at her. When you have the substance, don't go back to the shadow. That's who Christ is. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. This pointing forward to Christ. Pointing forward to the Messiah who's going to set up his eternal kingdom. Today, we don't necessarily, we don't have a large Jewish population here in southern Iowa. And so our temptation is not really to go flying back to observing Jewish rules. But there is still the bug of legalism in our hearts. At our core, we are very religious people. Everyone is, whether they say they are an atheist or not. Even the most atheist of person is very religious in their sort of organization of their life. We all have our ideas of what behavior is good and what behavior is bad. And, and we consider ourselves good or bad according to our keeping of this set of rules we have. We are very religious people. Paul is arguing that to try to, to, try to jump back into legalism as a means of pleasing God to know him better is to try to embrace again the shadow of the substance which is Jesus Christ. This, this reality that he's just talked about right in chapter 1. The nailing of our transgressions against the cross, the wiping away of our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, this unity that we have with Christ, with God through Christ. And he's saying, why would you go back to a legalism? Why would you go back to a set of rules? Why would you go back to your own performance when the substance is Christ? When the, when the gospel is saying, here's what God has done for you in Christ. There is no need to try to go back and redo what Christ has already accomplished. What Christ has already accomplished. This is not to say that the Christian, our catechism this morning, I thought it was, I didn't even, wasn't ready for it, but it, it confirmed this reality that the Christian, doesn't mean the Christian doesn't go and try to live right or do right or be obedient, but that does, never comes from a Christian as a point to earn God's favor. It comes from a place of understanding that you have God's favor already through Christ. Don't go back to legalism. The gospel message is the message that you have failed. <laughs> you have failed at God's law. Here's legalism. Here's all the things you should do. And you check none of them off perfectly. And you are a sinner condemned under God's wrath. 
and Christ has come and that legal demand that stood against us and condemned us, Colossians says, that stood against us, condemned us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And so Paul is saying, why would you then, after knowing this gospel, would you go back to this legal demand of now I please God through all the things that I do? Why would you go back to the shadow when you have the substance that is Christ? And there is a pull in each one of us to do this. Whether you're aware of it or not, there is this internal monologue that you have in your head that feels like that the, the right thing it seems in our heads is that I please God by the things that I do. And yeah, Christ is great, but now, now I'm going to impress God. Instead of having the humility to just always run to Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. But that's, that's what Paul is fighting against in this legalism. And the other errant teaching that's seeking to pull the Colossians away from Christ is some form of syncretism. He says also, let no one disqualify you, verse 18, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by sensuous mind. These, these teachers have special knowledge. This is where people talk about Gnosticism. You ever hear? It's kind of a junk term, junk drawer term for all sorts of like super knowledge. We know special things, Gnosticism. It gets all sorts of, people get accused of being Gnostic all the time because it's such a broad term, it's hard to define. But generally, it just means special knowledge. These are people who you know, claim, yeah, I've, I know Jesus, and let me tell you, Jesus met me the other night. And he told me, not only do you need to trust him on the cross, but Jesus said, you also need to give me $1,000. That, that's, you know, that's, that's, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm playing a role there. That's not me saying that. Jesus did not talk to me last night. He did not show up and talk to me. That's what's going on in this mystical syncretism. He's trying to take the Jesus language and then all sorts of dreams and visions and supernatural special knowledge and trying to mix it all together. Syncretisms where you take various isms and kind of sync them all up together. It's like trying to take, uh, trying to call, trying to create a, a um, a faith of Christian reincarnation. And so you'd say, well, I like Jesus and the forgiveness of the sins, but I kind of like the idea of getting a second try and re reincarnation, so I'm going to just kind of put them all together. I'm going to sync them up. And that's what Paul is warning against, this sort of mystical syncretism. They may have said things like, God told me, or I saw an angel and they told me, or even so bold as to say, God says you should, and whatever they would fill in. And it's hard to know exactly what these mystics are promoting other than the general idea that they'd be claiming there's some sort of special knowledge for Christians to grab a hold of, something more, something special. And that syncretism is alive and well today. It's alive and well today. All you really do is you just piecemeal together the ideas that appeal to you and you make your own religion. You make your own syncretism. It's very popular to do such a thing, to take on the label of spiritual. People say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You know, I believe in God, but I'm not particularly, I don't conform to any certain faith, but I'm, I'm a spiritual person. And by that, they, they mean that they believe in a God, whoever that may be, whatever they may look like, and that they take certain positions on certain issues. And usually, interestingly, those systems that they create 
affirm exactly who they are. It's, it's nice how that works out, that the this, this syncretistic faith that they have created, they believe in, seems to really affirm who they are and condemn a lot of other people. And that's typically the way that syncretism works. Paul is saying, don't go to those things. Don't go back to the bondage of worldly religion, legalism, syncretistic mysticism. None of these systems provide what Christ already has worked. That's what he's trying to get to. Christ is supreme. So he's saying, why would you run back to these other systems? Why are you on the, why are you on the prowl? Why are you on the search for all of these things to try to fulfill you when Christ has already provided all that needs to be provided for? So what he says in verse 19, Christ is this substance. He is the head. These people who have this mystical experiences what are they doing wrong? They're not holding fast to the head. Speaking about Christ. He's the one from whom the whole body, nourished, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. They're not holding fast to the head. But as I, you know, worked on all of this and trying to think about all of these, these pushes and pulls that all these different religions... Why do they still wrestle with false systems? Why do we still wrestle with these false systems? Why are the hearts of the people in the Colossian church tempted by these false faiths? Why are we tempted by them today? What is that pull to constantly, I've got Jesus, but I'm constantly looking around for, for something more, constantly tempted to get pulled back into legalism or to, to try to have some sort of supernatural special encounter that, that's, that gives me something more than, than well, just Jesus. What is, what is the reason? Why do we wrestle with these things? Well, one of the greatest difficulties, I think, people to get people going in the same direction, one of the, one of the toughest um, battles in getting people all pulling the same way is to make sure they all have the same goal. You have to all have the same goal. If you want to get a project done, if you want instructions to be followed, it's very important that those who are supposed to follow the instructions have the same goal. I got a text this week from my wife who was just commenting on my daughter's struggle with keeping instructions. I didn't ask for her permission to share this. I'm assuming it's okay and Jana's not really listening, so it's fine. Her struggle to really keep instructions. And, and she's like, you know, uh, because they had a worksheet out, a little preschool work they were trying to do. And I said, I'm not sure, I just, I'm not sure that it's the following the instructions she struggles with. It's that you have different goals for the project than she does. And that's what it was. It was supposed to be a red heart, and she wanted a blue something or other. So it's very hard to get the red crayon out, like the instructions say, whenever you don't want to, you, your goal is not a red anything. Your goal is a blue something. The goal is where it's is so important. If you want going to follow these instructions, it's not that you don't know the instructions, but if you have a different goal, those instructions are very hard to follow. When you have a different goal than those around you, your life looks different. And when your goals change in your own life, your instructions, your life, you change. 
Why are we tempted to go back to legalism and to rule keeping? Why are we tempted to run to a syncretistic, mystical belief or some sort of special knowledge? Because our goals keep getting messed up. Paul says here that the goal is connection to Christ. To hold fast to the head. To hold fast to the head. With Christ dying to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. That is the goal. And that connection comes only by grace through faith in Christ and his work on the cross. This is very often counter to our goal. Grace is countered is counter to our goals. Why is grace counter to our goals? Because verse 23, I think Paul really hits the nail on the head. He says, these have, all of these legalisms, all of these practices, all of this mysticism, they all have an appearance of wisdom in that they promote self-made religion. If you can go back to legalism, if you can go back to your favor with God, yeah, thank you, Jesus, but my favor with God really comes from my special experience or my own personal performance, then you get to brag. You get to boast in who you are. Look at me, Jesus. Look at me, God. And they are all very good and well for promoting self-made religion. But grace is opposed to self-made religion. Grace says you did not make anything. The only thing that you contributed to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's what you've contributed. That's your, that's your contribution. Here I am, Jesus. Here's what I've done. I've made a mess. And grace comes and it rescues you out of all of your flaws and out of all of your failings, out of your low place, out of your being laid low under the wrath of God. Grace comes and it rescues you. Not you rescue yourself. It rescues you, which requires absolute, an absolute humbling. This isn't about me. This isn't about my good works. This isn't about my impressiveness. This is about the love of God for me despite all of that? Well, how am I supposed to impress anybody? How am I supposed to really gloat? How am I supposed to be really, how am I supposed to strut around in this life if it's all about grace? That's the point. That's the point. Why do we run back to legalism, to mystical experiences, to boy, I know all this special stuff? Because at our core, there is this war inside of us between the grace of God that rescues us and our desire to somehow feel like, aren't we impressive? If the ball is totally in your court, what are you going to be able to produce? Nothing. Nothing. Christianity is an absolutely offensive religion because it is utter destruction to your pride. It is utter destruction to who you are. You bring nothing, you grow nothing, you earn nothing. It is all grace. We simply look and see. We are convicted and repent. We hear the truth of Christ and believe. Faith comes by hearing, not by doing. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. We hear it and we believe and we are given the fullness of who Christ is through faith. What you need, what we all need, is a view of Christ. We do not need a to-do list of ways to get God in our corner. The goal of coming to church on a Sunday morning is not to 
fill out, okay, Darren, all right, I got 10 new things I need to do to make sure I can impress, I can impress God and impress the world by how much I impress God. When we come to church to remember that it is the grace of God that saves you. You brought in your to-do list, and guess what? It was failed. Who succeeded? Christ did. He completed the to-do list. He fulfilled all righteousness. That's why he was baptized. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. He fulfills all righteousness. He takes our sin, our failed checklist, our legal demand that stood against us is nailed to the cross so that we could this morning not brag to God of our self-made religion, look how great we are, but we could come and say, I have nowhere to turn. I have nowhere to turn. I have no mystical experiences. I have no great checklist. I have nothing to bring. Simply to the cross I cling is that him naked with nothing, naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for aid. Foul I too the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. What we need is a view of Christ to humble ourselves before our God, confess that we have nothing and are nothing without him, and rejoice that in Christ we do have him. Just to close, Hebrews, this passage this week came across my radar. I just thought it was, it's not a direct correlation or cross-reference to this passage, but it just was so, I just, it, it, it worked for me. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He's, he's writing all of these things, again, for them to be doing. I mean, to, to, um, to pray for those. Remember those who are in prison in verse 3. Let the marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Verse 4. Verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. And I think you could answer almost anything there. Jealousy of any type. Keep your life free from this love of something more. If I could just have something else. If I could just, if I could, when I can get this, then, then, then I'll have meaning. Then I'll have purpose. Then I'll have value. Then I'll be able to be proud. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Hebrews 13.5, keep ourselves free from the desire something else, something more. Be content with what we have. And I wonder if the writer of Hebrews isn't messing with us a little bit. Because he's, keep your life free from the love of money. Just be content with what you have. And then he tells us what we have and why we should be content with it. Be content with what you have. Why? Because what do we have? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content. If you are God's, he is with you. You have him. It's a bit of like a, an understatement. Be content with what you have. The creator of the universe who holds all things in his hands and who works all things together for the good of his people and towards his appointed ends, you have him. Be content. You think? You think? Yes. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do with me? He says to be content with what we have because ultimately you have God. Why run back to these substances, to these to-do lists, to special experiences, to whatever sort of thing you think you will prop yourself up? Why run back to that? You have it all in Christ. You have God. The goal is God.
The goal is him, and you have him in Christ. Are you convinced that you have Christ? Is God your goal? This morning, let this text tell you in Colossians, there is no program that you need to get back on to make yourself better. There's no magical, mystical experience to, to, to have happen that you need to encounter in your life. The fullness of God is in Christ. And the goal, what we need is to look to him and there to find our full satisfaction. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes this morning to see you. Father, I pray this morning if there are things on our hearts that we can look back on and say, yes, I've, I, have, I have searched for other avenues to make me feel content, to make me feel satisfied, to make me feel worth, to make me feel value outside of Christ. Father, I pray that those things would become clear to us in this place this morning, that we would turn from them, that we would repent from the idolatry that that is, and that we would have eyes for Christ alone. He is supreme. He rules over all things. For those who are his, he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Why would we chase for anything else? Give us eyes, God, to see you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.